So, hey, welcome. Welcome. This is a, a bonus Halloween episode. Bonus, bonus, b -b 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 bonus. Of Streamed and Screened. I'm Chris Lay. I'm the podcast operations manager for Lee. One of the co-hosts of Streamed and Screened. We got Jared McNett, who's a journalist at the Sioux City Journal, formerly the Globe Gazette. I don't know why I'm still saying formerly the Globe Gazette. <laughs> People need to know uh, my travels and, and where where I've been, you know? pretty quick little little punch in uh today but we're gonna be talking about Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities the eight-part series that just dropped on Netflix over the course of this week every day starting on Tuesday the last two came out today today being Friday I mean the frame is pretty much like a Alfred Hitchcock presents right down to Guillermo del Toro like shuffling out at the beginning in like a nice suit and uh you know speaking directly to the camera shuffling is a perfect description of how he handles those <laughs> yep it, it's it's really delightful it's i don't want to say low energy but it's perfect for him jared has not seen all of them but we're gonna go through them and just kind of talk about them a little bit we're not going to do any spoilers with anything like this, there's some that are going to be better than others and some that are going to appeal more to everyone's specific taste. These are tonally all over the place. Each one is, you know, anywhere between, you know, 40 minutes to an hour, give or take. They're all directed by somewhat well-known names and star pretty solid bunch of character actors, I'd say. Or Oscar winner in, in one case, in one of the ones I watched. And yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, so we're going to go with the the order that they were released, the order that you'll be viewing them on Netflix if you start at one. Jared, you can take it away with lot 36, which, uh, you know, three, six? <laughs> Some numerology uh, going on. What does it mean? Three plus three equals six, you know? And six... Three sixes is six six six. That's the that's the devil's number. And uh, this episode actually is about uh, demons. Um, and it's got um, Tim Blake Nelson. I guess Oh Brother Where that would still be the biggest thing people would know him from, right? He's been in a whole lot of stuff. If anybody saw the uh, the Watchmen series on HBO, he was in that mm -hmm. with a with a shiny face. Yes. Yeah, so so he's in this as a a racist storage unit he's basically a version of like the guys that you see on the show storage wars or uh storage wars miami i think is the uh spinoff and so he buys this uh storage unit that this old man owned and starts to find some very um very unsettling things in the uh the storage unit and everything kind of spirals outward uh from there and there are uh demons involved like i said and this one was probably one of my favorites like i said i only watched three of them but i really kind of dug the vibes of this one it had a nice little bit of like griminess to it because of like the storage unit complex that they were in so it was a good tone setter for the whole series in that respect and then another thing it definitely established in terms of tone that carried through to the other two that I watched, especially the, the second one is 
there's definitely like a morality play kind of thing involved with the the first two in particular, like I said. And does that continue for the other ones, Chris? I mean, to a degree, you know, as much as, you know, actions have consequences, it's not a running Twilight Zone level of people getting their their comeuppance in, in the same way. Yeah, so so there's there's some of that, uh, especially in the the first two. In the second one, it's in Salem, Massachusetts, in like the early 1900s, I think, if one of the gravestones I, I remember correctly, where this like graveyard caretaker who's played by a uh, David Hewlett, who I'm not actually that familiar with. He was in it was in Stargate apparently he's this graveyard caretaker who basically loots stuff from dead bodies like once they've been buried he breaks in and steals whatever he can whether it's you know gold teeth jewelry whatever but he's having bad luck with that as of late because these rats these pesky pesky rats keep getting at everything and he he can't abide that because he's like he owes a bunch of debts and so eventually you know, this, this big prize comes in and he has to try to get at that one. And again, he has bad luck with the rats. And again, things spiral outward from there in that one in a, in a very horrifying fashion at, at one point, there's some good in all three of the ones that I watched some good creature feature stuff. That's true in lot 36, definitely true. in this one with two different fun uh, creature feature kind of things and graveyard rats. And then it's also true in the third one, which is the autopsy, which was probably my favorite of the three because it was the most ambitious. Like the the first two, the casts are pretty small. The the settings are pretty well maintained. Like I said, the first one, Lot 36 is kind of all just mostly in the storage unit for a good stretch. And the second one is mostly in a graveyard and then like one or two other locations. The autopsy bounces around a little bit more and the story is a little bit wider and part of that's probably the runtime because of the three i watched the autopsy is the longest of the three it's almost an hour and it has uh f murray abraham horse won an oscar for his work in uh, amadeus he plays this like forensic pathologist who has to go to this small town to perform an autopsy on these guys that were killed in an explosion in this like local mine And once he goes there, the local sheriff kind of relays the events that led up to the explosion. Um, And there's some like strange events that seem like they might be extraterrestrial, maybe, or it might have just been someone that went insane. And so F. Murray Abraham has to kind of sort everything out and do his autopsies. And then once he starts doing his autopsies, uh, some very, very strange and uh, unsettling things start happening and the the last half of it that's all kind of revolved around the autopsy itself was was really fun and um there's some creature effects in that that almost reminded me a little bit of uh men in black with the way one of the characters looked i really dug that one and it's definitely going to get me to keep watching because it was pretty ambitious storytelling for something that was only an hour and the effects all the way through have been have been very good and very squeam uh inducing i think the only thing that i would add to what you've got is that graveyard rats Mm -hmm. so far i think is the grossest like it has the most like just unsettling visual experiences lately oh yeah because rats are just disgusting (laughs) (laughs) they're just these horrible little creatures um 
And there's a lot of them in, in graveyard rats. Yeah. And, and I know rats are really smart and, you know, I've, uh, one of my family members, you know, for a while had rats like as pets, like I, I get it. I, I'm, I'm not, I mean, they're just, they got the little claws and I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, they also almost brought on the downfall of all of Europe. So, you know, don't, don't give them too much slack. <laughs> you don't want to turn your back on them. No, 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 no. And that one also was funny. It, I mean, not to... That that was definitely the funniest of the three because David Hewlett, even though, like, of the three I watched, that was probably my least favorite, it was the funniest. And David Hewlett, like, plays, like, a very... A man who thinks he's fancier and more important than he is, which is always funny to watch. Yeah. With uh, the autopsy, it's worth throwing out there. Uh, it's directed by David Pryor, who also directed The Empty Man, which, sadly, it's not streaming anywhere. For a while, it was on HBO, I think. But that's a movie that came out a couple of years ago. I think we actually talked about it on a previous episode, maybe. Um, but David Pryor, for years, has done all of the uh, featurettes and things for a bunch of David Fincher movies. So he's basically just been hanging around David Fincher sets for, you know, 20 years, um, which, you know, <laughs> rubs off on you. And, and I, I should say, too, as a uh, as a Redbox head, you can easily find the empty man at Redbox. I know that for sure, because that's how I came across that one and um with uh with the autopsy the writer on that one was actually david goyer who wrote you know the dark knight trilogy with uh with the nolans so that one that one's pretty stacked of the the first three that i watched because david goyer wrote that one uh david Pryor directed it and then Ephraim abraham and oscar winner uh starred in it the next one on the list is the outside uh, it's directed by anna lily amanpour who directed A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and The Bad Batch. It stars Kate Micucci, who comedy nerds will recognize as being one half of Garfunkel and Oates. And Martin Starr is also in it as her husband. Uh, they are a kind of a weird couple. Kate Micucci works at a bank and she's the black sheep of the, the bank tellers who were all very fancy. It's set in the, the 80s, early to mid 80s, give or take. And the it's also around Christmas time. So, you know, but she has a, a reaction to this lotion that everybody is using, especially the, the, the fancy, traditionally attractive women that, that are working at the bank. And then the, the lotion takes over. <laughs> the lotion takes over. Happens. Yeah, right. Uh, and... The twists and turns there are really, really great. The, the style of it is is nice. Um, the the way that everything kind of wraps up is fun and loaded, and it's uh, it's not my favorite of the bunch, but it's it's certainly one that I think is a really great intro to to the series. Uh, so I'm glad that it kind of came in that first half. Uh, and. It's not the only one of the these that has uh, some comedians in it, right, uh, right, Chris? No, there's definitely uh, a lot of comedians in the the viewing, the penultimate episode, which actually came out today. So we will definitely talk about that. Uh, the The next one is Dreams in the Witch House, which is directed by Catherine Hardwick, probably best known for the first Twilight movie. I don't know, man, like it's Rupert Grint. Everyone will remember from 
Harry Potter as Ron Weasley. And I don't know. He's just he's not really great outside of that. And the vibe of this one just didn't really work for me. It's a, you know, someone having to go into the afterlife to retrieve somebody who's died. And then, you know, it turns out there's consequences. Shocker. But yeah, my least favorite of the bunch. It's based on a uh, Lovecraft story. Although not one I'm as you, familiar that's with. The, that's uh, Pickman's model, I think. No, two of them are Lovecraft ones. Pickman's model and Dreams in the Witch House are both uh, both Lovecraft. Oh, crap. Look at that. But I'm not familiar with either of those as Lovecraft stories. So Me neither. I, I would say you're given, uh, Chris, as, as someone who loved this movie when I was a teenager, you're given Catherine Hardwick a little bit of short shrift by not mentioning that she also directed uh, Lords of Dogtown, which was a really fun biopic about the early skateboard boom in California in the uh, the 70s. That was a delightful movie with uh, with Emile Hirsch. You see, that's one that I never I never saw that because I I fell in love with the actual documentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, your your advocation for it definitely makes me I'll I'll put it on the list. I'll check it out. But I got low expectations here. <laughs> so yeah, Dreams in the Witch House mm-hmm. within the rest of the bunch, it, it fits with the tones and whatnot, but just not. I didn't think it was that great. It's good no, that it's in the I- middle because it's it's all it's all uphill from here. The Pickman's model, it makes me nervous that the director, Keith Thomas, is the guy that directed probably still my least favorite movie of the year, which was the Firestarter remake. How was uh how was Pickman's model? Pickman's model was actually really good. Uh, it's about an artist who gets kind of wrapped up in this witchcrafty sort of thing. I mean, the the way that everything kind of twists and turns is I I can't even really explain it necessarily, other than just leading off by uh, it's you know turn of the century sort of stuff. And, and Crispin Glover is in there as this. Uh, artist who is from Boston and just has this just crazy Boston accent. And it's just, it's just wonderful to see Crispin Glover in anything, just chewing up scenery. And yeah, so there's a little bit of like a Dorian Gray adjacent sort of a thing uh, going on. Just like you, I went in with pretty low expectations because Firestarter was just horrible. Uh, And (laughs) this definitely it shows that maybe there was more going on with Firestarter that was a problem than than the director. But yeah, so Pickman's model, good stuff. The penultimate episode, like we talked about, is the viewing. And this is one that I was the most hotly anticipating of the bunch because I love everything that I've seen from Panos Cosmatos. Uh, who is the the son of the man who directed Tombstone? Uh, also, the Panos Cosm- he, he directed Mandy, which is you know one of the one of the best Nicolas Cage movies, one of the the best horror psychotic thrillers. <laughs> I mean, it's I've maintained, and I think including on here, I'm almost certain of that. Like that's just one of my favorite movies of the 2010s period. I I love Mandy deeply and. As soon as I was like, you know, checking Wikipedia to read up on this before I started watching them, when I saw that he directed one of the episodes and that uh, Eric Andre and Peter Weller, who was RoboCop, uh, were in it, I was like beyond 
ready. Peter Weller plays a crazy rich guy who it's set in the like, I don't know, mid to late seventies, give or take. And he plays, he plays this crazy rich guy who invites these specialists, all of these people that are best known, maybe not best known, but these people that uh, are the way that they connect to each other is that they've been on late night talk shows, quote unquote, <laughs> which I don't know how, how that's, you know, just talk show guest is on their, uh, their, their CV somewhere and shows them this thing. They, they experience a, a viewing uh, of a artifact and then uh, all hell breaks loose, but it takes a long time to get there for so many comedians and funny people, Charlotte Yee uh, and, uh, what is the other guy's name? Um, Steve Agee, who was in uh, the Sarah Silverman uh, program back in the day. Oh, I mean, he's been in uh, all of the all the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He's, mm-hmm. you know, just, yeah, he's very, very much. It seems like he he, he gets into movies just because he, he's fun to have on set. He seems like a dude who's just like like a cool guy. And directors like hanging out with him. So he just randomly gets cast in a bunch of stuff just to hang out. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> which, which is such a good place to be in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Peter Weller steals the, the whole show. And like I was saying, uh, with so many comedians, there's, there's not a lot of funny stuff in it. It's, it's very serious in, in the way that it tries to portray. And I mean, some of the comedy intentionally comes from how serious it's being played, but uh, yeah, Peter Weller just absolutely crushes. And um, yeah, it wasn't, it met my expectations. I don't think it exceeded the expectations. It felt very, very similar quality wise, kind of a little bit above uh, his first film, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, and his second film, Mandy. A lot of the same elements are are on display. He's a very, he's clearly got got his his aesthetic down. <laughs> <laughs> at this point uh and then the last one the murmuring which came out today i watched this morning before we recorded uh is directed by jennifer kent who everyone will best know as the writer director of the babadook also the the nightingale which a lot of people did not see but is a very well uh, respected movie too i mean i'm i'm on that list of people who didn't see it so i gotta <laughs> but but no, like of the people that like directed anything, even though, you know, I like Mandy more, it, it's probably the biggest get, I would say, of any of the directors for any of the episodes. I think so. That and Penos Cosmatos are, are the two, because after Mandy, I don't know what he's been up to. It's, I, I would assume that he's maybe had, you know, some stuff that is either in the works or maybe fell apart at a, you know, pre-production level or I don't know, but so yeah, that's one that I was, you know, very much looking forward to. And I'm, I liked the Babadook. Wasn't my my favorite movie of the year it came out, and it's certainly been a while since I have seen it. Uh, I know he is a uh, a queer icon at this point. <laughs> the Babadook is yes. The Babadook yes. But uh, the murmuring is about two naturalists, I guess, scientists who are out trying to study murmurations which when flocks of birds all move in the sky to avoid predators 
the way that they communicate is through these quote unquote murmurations, these murmurs between each other. That's, I guess what we call them. And so there's a certain mysterious element to that where it's like, we don't really know how they, they do it. So this couple uh, played by Essie Davis and Andrew Lincoln, everyone will uh, remember Andrew Lincoln from love actually, most likely going way back, going way, way back. Essie Davis was in the Babadook, uh, not as the Babadook, but they, they end up going to this little farmhouse sort of thing on, on an island to study these birds. So they're, they're alone and, and the house is, is haunted. And the way that everything's processed is really interesting. The way that it comes together uh, just has really great vibes to it. Uh, I was pretty thankful that none of these films leaned into the you know quote unquote elevated horror mm-hmm. that you know a24 is none of them are about grief chris well so i mean the murmuring is the only one that comes close to that uh-huh but you know in processing trauma and like you know some of that yeah. stuff but it's the way that it's handled is it's the kind of thing where you can read all these layers into it and you connect to it but I don't know. It, it didn't feel flashy about it in the way that I think a lot of the, you know, a 24 hereditary. Um, I don't know. These, these ones just have that kind of, you know, stamp on right. them. So murmuring far and away, my personal favorite, that's the one that I think I will actually be recommending to everyone. Just like go see this. It's not, scary or or creepy necessarily it has those moments but it's it's just done really really well well here's hoping that uh her and uh panos cosmatos both uh put something out again soon because the last thing for both of them for this was 2018 with uh, the nightingale for jennifer kent and uh, mandy for panos and it looks like uh i mean panos cosmatos he's got uh necrocosm great great name yep yep which is in pre-production right now. And speaking of A24, that'll be coming out on A24. Um, and yeah, based on the the poster that's out for Necrocosm, it looks like it's going to be more of the same from him, which is not a bad thing if if you like what he's been up to, which yep. I do. So Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, really great lineup of stuff. It's got I don't know. Every time that I've ever used the the phrase "something for everyone," uh, one of the the editors that I've I've worked with in the past is like it just it makes him so frustrated and upset. <laughs> it's one of those just like horrible cliches. But I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff going on here, and yeah, it, at least for like horror people, even with just the first three I watched, you definitely do get some good variety in terms of like tones and uh, aesthetics. Yep. So there's that. And I mean, speaking of Guillermo del Toro, I want to address something not with Jared on here. Uh Apparently you and I are being taken a task by Bruce Miller over (laughs) our higher than average expectations for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio movie, which is coming out in December on Netflix. Bruce thinks it's going to be a quote unquote non-starter. I don't know. I'm excited. Tell me, tell me why, why, like I, I made my argument 
in the episode that came out yesterday. You go ahead and make your argument here just so we can have it on the record. Nightmare Alley didn't necessarily do that well at the, you know, the Academy or anything like that, but was a really, really solid movie. I dug that one uh, quite a bit. Um, Shape of Water won Best Picture. Those That's his last two movies. Um, Pacific Rim, incredibly fun and delightful movie that I loved going and seeing in theaters. Both of the Hellboy movies, also incredibly fun times. And, uh, you know, Pan's Labyrinth is one that ends up on a lot of people's best of the uh, the 2000s. And the only thing I'm leaving out is Crimson Peak because I didn't see that one. But that's those, those are his recent movies going back to 2004. So there's not a misfire uh in the bunch of those and i know crimson peak has got its uh its enjoyers oh yeah horror horror fans really like crimson peak bruce's argument is pretty much it just boils down to wooden boy that's as far as i could get from him and uh if there's anyone who can make us connect with it it's going to be guillermo del toro so i'm i'm expecting it to be the right amount of creepy I mean, like, what are the like the other examples we have of Pinocchio? We've got the Disney animated version. We've got the Disney live action version, both of which are the animated versions classic. The live action version is a waking nightmare. Roberto Benigni did one. Or I think did, did he do two of them? <laughs> I think he did do two of them, actually, because I think he was in the 2019 one also, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't trust Roberto Benigni to get to the 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 weird disturbing core <laughs> of pinocchio no well and if you don't trust him to get to the weird disturbing core of pinocchio then you definitely can't trust uh last year there was pinocchio uh colon a true story which had tom kenny as geppetto uh john heater napoleon dynamite as tybalt and uh paulie shore as pinocchio um so i don't know that that one really got to the core of the the creepy either Anyway, we're looking forward to it. I think it'll have a nice little bit of unsettling. And I mean, the cast, uh, not surprising considering, you know, just how well regarded Guillermo del Toro is at this point. The cast is uh, is pretty solid. It's got uh, Kate Blanchett, John Turturro, Ron Perlman, Tim Blake Nelson, who we already talked about, Christoph Waltz, Tilda Swinton, Ewan McGregor. I mean, that's pretty good. I'm excited. Yeah, I think I, I think Bruce is going to eat his words. You know, and, and that's, I mean, that's where we're, I'm, the three of us even, will come together, I'm sure. I was not even intending to, to rep that hard for this movie, but now I feel like I've been backed into a corner. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, like I said, on, on the episode that came out yesterday, I don't, uh, I'm not expecting it to be the greatest film of the year. I'm not expecting it to be some crazy Oscar thing. I just think it's going to be really good. That's that, or I think. The way that I sold it to Bruce, it's going to be better than you are expecting. So that's it for this episode. Go watch all those movies. You got a long Halloween weekend to catch catch up on them. And uh, Jared, you want to take us out with your, your patented uh, ex post facto? Absolutely. And again, we're still in, you know, the most wonderful time of the year, at least for, for me, which is uh, Halloween season, as Chris uh, mentioned. So go to the theaters and, uh, you know, screen something spooky there. Although there aren't a lot of spooky options in theaters right now, unfortunately, which come on, Hollywood, you, you failed us a little bit this month, but um, go to the theaters and screen something spooky. 
or uh, stick at home and stream uh, something spooky and just do all things spooky over the next couple days. And see something good. We'll be back next week with more stuff. Uh, so make sure that you're subscribed. Thank you for, for listening and we'll have uh, links and blah, blah, blah. All the, the usual podcast patter. Happy Halloween, everybody. Jared, take it away with uh, lot 46. 36. Uh-oh, lot 36. You want to you do it again? <laughs>